Well, hello, church family. Oh, man, it's good to see all 12 of you. So glad you're here. But it is great to be back. Not exactly the way I pictured it, but you were all in the top few people I were hoping to be here. So it's working out. And what a, what a great way to start uh, worshiping through song. I want to invite you to turn over with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at the whole Psalm 126. Not super long, pretty short, just six verses. Page 613 on the Pew Bible in front of you. If you did not bring a copy of the scriptures with you, you can turn over there to Psalm 126. Again, on page 613 in the Pew Bible. This is known as the Song of Ascent. In fact, you'll see a little description to that uh, to that case, right under the heading Psalm 126. What that means is that when folks were worshiping, they would go for some big festivals, like Passover and such, to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's kind of up in the hills. And so you always went up to Jerusalem. You always ascended to the Mount of Zion, Jerusalem, where folks would gather to worship God. And they would sing psalms together. This is one of those songs they would sing on their way up to Jerusalem for worship. The psalmist writes these words. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, again, that's Jerusalem, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with the songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of God. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, we thank you for giving us your word. This is... Inspired by your Holy Spirit, you breathed out these words. Your word is like a sword, active, sharp, able to do its work, able to cut us to the heart, to speak to us, to encourage and uplift us and to convict us, whatever the case may be, whatever your Holy Spirit sees fit to do. And so we come to your word this morning seeking the joy, the same joy that your people sought. They come out of Babylon, out of captivity, waiting for you to restore their land. And just as they sang this psalm, going to worship you in Jerusalem, Father, we read and meditate on this psalm Thousands of years later, with some of the same struggles, seeking joy when it's hard. But God, we thank you that you are in this battle with us. And as we just sang, you fight the battle for us. And yet you have given us something to do. You've called us to fight with you, not in our own strength, but in yours. So, Father, as we turn our attention to fighting for joy this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's been a great eight weeks. I'm going to give a report on that on the 15th. We are hoping and praying this whole, I don't even want to say coronavirus anymore. Y'all, I just don't even want to say the word, but you know what I'm talking about. We should come up with a code word or something. Um, what? What's the code word? It who must not it who must not be named like Harry Potter. Thank you. We're big Harry Potter fans here at First Baptist Kennedy, by the way. <laughs> so on the fifteenth, we'll have our monthly business meeting, and uh, I'm going to share a little bit longer of a report. And then the plan is to have ice cream social together, and we're going to do that out at the bus barn if we're still concerned. And if we're not concerned, we'll do it in the fellowship hall. But we got a couple weeks to figure that out. But let me just say a quick word about sabbatical for those who may be tuning in online or maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, for the past eight weeks, I have been blessed to be uh, on sabbatical, taking a break for my normal uh, pastoring duties uh, to focus on the Lord and enjoy my family. And it was just a wonderful eight break, eight weeks. Uh, enjoyed worshiping with other churches and in other places. I've actually compiled a lot of this, including some songs that were meaningful to me, some scripture verses that I spent a lot of time meditating on. I've compiled all that on our website. If you go there to fbckennedy.org slash sabbatical, uh, you'll find all this. And uh, actually, I've included a couple of newsletter articles from the past couple months. And I'd really encourage you to go and read the one for this, this past newsletter. By the way, if you don't get the newsletter and you want it, just Fill out your connection card and let us know. Put your mailing address. Better yet, put your email address, and we'll email that monthly newsletter right to your inbox, okay? But this past one was really a, a culmination of some stuff that has been a blessing to me in the past eight weeks, and it really does center around this idea of fighting for joy, and it's going to cover a lot more bases than I'm going to cover today, and so if this wets your whistle a little bit, Go check that out at fbckennedy.org slash sabbatical, or if you've already got the newsletter emailed to you or mailed to you. In fact, I think we actually have a couple printed copies, uh, in, not in the foyer, but over here. Is it in the foyer, too? It's back here. Uh, we call this one the members table where the lamp is in the back. You can grab a hard copy of that on your way out if you want. Um, and, you know, not for nothing, but Marcia said it was one of my best newsletter articles I've ever written. And she has a bad memory, so I don't know. No, I'm kidding. She actually has a very good memory. Where is Marsha, by the way? Okay, let me get to that. <laughs> uh, so one of the joys was going to children's camp a couple weeks ago. Well, we had one of our camp sponsors, who also went to youth camp, come down with COVID, even though he was vaccinated. Uh, thankfully, the nurses said, you know, the vaccination helped uh, control the symptoms he experienced, and it was a pretty mild case, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, well, my son got it, and he was totally fine. He's been fine the whole time, but we were, we were about to go uh, do some fun stuff as a family, and, say, and we've been, you know, let's test, let's make sure everybody's good before we go out the house, and he, he tested positive. But he's been fine. He's very healthy, and he's very frustrated that he's been on uh, lockdown in his room. Today's the first day he got out of lockdown, by the way. And just to be cautious, because it was in our house, they stayed home today. So that's where they're at. Um, and they should be watching online. And so, hello, kids. Be nice to mom while I'm not there. Or you're going to be in trouble. Um, 
And then, because I was exposed, even though I've been vaccinated, you notice I came in late. I'm trying to keep my distance. I feel 100% fine, never had a symptom. And in fact, just to be sure, I tested yesterday. Uh, thanks, Amy, for hooking me up with the test, because you can't get them anywhere. And I took a test yesterday, I tested negative. But just to be careful, I just don't, I hate for anybody to get sick. But I couldn't not be here with you today. I had to show up, okay? So I was, we had a plan. I was going to like record the sermon and then we we're going to play it. It was going to be like in one of those mega churches when you're like at a branch campus or something like that. Or if you stay home online and watch Joel Olstein, Wouldn't have been as smiley with as much teeth or hair, but probably would have had a little more Bible. But that's something else. Okay. All right. See, I've been gone too long. This is going to be an adjustment period for all of us. All of us. I'll remember what it's like to be a pastor and keep my mouth closed. Okay. All right. So, so uh, thankfully, never symptomatic, tested negative yesterday, so I'm here today and didn't have to do that whole recording thing. So I thank God for that because that was really a big prayer thing on my heart because I did not want to miss uh, being here this morning. So it's really good to be here. But so actually, I started last Monday, um, came into the office. We had our, our uh, plan laid out and everything. And that was the morning that Marsha called and said, hey, I tested Jackson. He's positive. And so that threw a wrench in everything we had planned. <laughs> and uh, so I've been, you know, either hiding out in my office by myself working. That's what I did most of the time. And then Amy, who you know, her husband Jim's doing chemotherapy, and so we want to be very cautious with that situation. So if she was in the office, I worked from home, and that's kind of how we worked it out. And all of it was fine. But like I said, it wasn't exactly what I had hoped for returning from sabbatical uh, week of and Sunday of. Not exactly what I was uh, hoping for. And, and, and I'll be honest, it, it dampened my joy a little bit, to be truthful with you. But see, I learned something over the sabbatical, or maybe I, I put it this way, I relearned something, which is that, that joy is often something you have to fight for. We want it to be easy. We want it to just come our way without any effort whatsoever. We just want to wake up in a joyous mood. But as the people in your household can attest, you don't do that very well, do you? I don't either. I don't... I, just being joy, joyful naturally often does not occur. Often in life, we have to fight for joy. And see, that's going to um, prepare us for what the psalmist has to say in Psalm 126. This whole COVID thing, uh, or that which must not be named, uh, is most definitely... Uh, something that hampers our joy. But it is not the only thing, is it? What are some other things that hampers our joy? And it can be about someone else. It doesn't have to be about you, so we don't have to be confessional at all. Don't worry about that. You can talk about somebody else. But I do want to hear from you. What do you think? What are some other things that can cause our joy to start to leak? out of our lives. Let's see it out loud. Taxes from someone who's just figuring out that they got to pay taxes. I feel you, brother. I absolutely, I remember the first time I realized, oh, you do this every year? I thought this was like on a, you know, special occasion, seventh year jubilee. I don't know. Yes. Oh my goodness. Taxes. Thank you for that one. Anybody else? What's something? Say again. 
Sickness, here we go. We're in it, right? Not just COVID, but we've got folks in our church that are dealing with cancer. Uh, and that's at the top of our prayer list, uh, isn't it? Anything else? Let me name a few you're not going to say out loud. Marital problems. I mean, you could say it out loud, but you're probably not going to. Let's be honest. Uh, parenting can be a challenge. I really want to tell Josh's story. <laughs> he said, do it. One of, his, one of his kids decided it would be fun, well, but it started with one, right? And then he looped in the other one, right? Which one did it start with? Josh's oldest boy, Talent, decided it would be fun to drop his pants and go potty in his bedroom on the floor. And then he roped in younger brother, Tyler, to do the same thing. Thankfully, Trey wears the diaper, so that was all good. And he texts us immediately because he thought he was going to jail. Because, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But parenting can just poke a hole in your joy bag. That's a terrible analogy. That's, that was really bad. Speaking of uh, leaking, uh, leaking joy out of your, that's uh, last month's article. So you can go read that too. What? Never ends. The parenting thing. Lily can attest to that. Still sapping your mother's joy out of life. It's Travis. It's Travis. <laughs> Y'all should have both blamed the one that's not here. That's, that would have been the better plan. I'm sure she's watching online. Laurel, it's all your fault. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of things. Financial problems, trouble at work. Um, there's just a long list. In our, as a country, we've gone through some things that have been joy sapping, whether it's a racial strife or political division. I mean, the list is long, Right? Uh, for these folks who were singing this psalm on the way to worship in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount, they're coming out of some stuff, but they're in some stuff, and they're looking forward to some stuff. It's a way to lay out, really, the heart of today's message. The past, the present, and the future are all seedbeds for joy. The past, the present, and the future are all a seedbed for for joy if we're willing to fight for it. So let's dive into this really, I think, pretty incredible psalm. Starting in verse 1. By the way, this psalm series that we're going to start next week that I'm really excited about. I was so excited about it, I couldn't wait to get to Psalms next week. So we're doing Psalms this week, okay? That's how excited I am. You'll notice in your bulletin you've got a bookmark that has listed out the Psalms 1 through 50 and uh, batches of 10. Starting next Monday, I want to encourage you to use that reading plan. Read two Psalms a day, Monday through Friday. Use Saturday and Sunday to catch up if you missed any. And if you read two psalms a day, you'll read 10 a week if you do it Monday through Friday. And we'll get through all 150 psalms uh, in just uh, you know, a couple months' time. So that's the game plan. And so I'm going to pick one of those 10 psalms every week to preach from. Next week will be really an introduction to the book of Psalms. But it is an incredibly powerful book. We're going to see why this morning. But it is an incredibly honest book. It is a, song, it is a prayer book. It is a song book. It's the kind of songs that Jesus would have sung when he went up to Jerusalem for Passover. He would have sang some of these songs 
are psalms as well. So hang on to that bookmark, okay? You'll use that starting next week. You should have a couple in your bulletin. So if you only got one and you came in a group, just grab another one on the way out if you don't have enough. For those watching online, if you go to fbckennedy.org slash psalms, S-C-A-L-M-S, you'll actually see the reading plan online right there, all right? So, Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Again, Zion is a way of talking about Jerusalem. And what the psalmist is talking about here is when God brought them out of what's known as the Babylonian captivity. God's people were not worshiping God as they should, so God allowed them to be overtaken by the Babylonians. This is where we get some of the incredible stories like uh, Meshach, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. This is where you get stories about Daniel are all happening in the midst of this Babylonian captivity. They're taken out of Jerusalem. Some are left, but some of the best and brightest are taken out of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the temple's destroyed. The walls are torn down. And it's just chaos for God's people. And it's a way of reminding them, look, I've laid out for you how I want you to live. You are not living up to that. And so I have to discipline you. And and as parents know, discipline is an act of love. And so in love, God has allowed them to go through this. And in love, he brings them out of it at the right time. So what the psalmist is doing is they are remembering when God restored their fortunes, when God brought them out of Babylonian captivity. He said it was like a dream come true. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, verse 2. Our tongues with songs of joy. It's amazing. When we're in the fight for joy, when, when things in life have brought us low, One of the things I'm mindful of as I look at this is that there is no mention of repentance needed in this particular psalm. Sometimes a lack of joy in our life is because we have a lack of repentance for sin. We're caught up in sin and we are not enjoying the presence of God. Sometimes that's the case. But in this psalm, it doesn't talk about sin. It doesn't talk about repentance. It alludes to it in the past, which was a problem for, the, uh, for their forefathers, which landed them in the Babylonian captivity. But in this psalm, it doesn't talk about that. You know, sometimes joy can be missing. It's not a result of your sins of commission, things you've willingly chose to do against God's will. Sometimes the lack of joy is not the circumstances in life, challenges you face. Sometimes it's medical stuff. Sometimes it's mental stuff. Sometimes it's chemicals in the brain. There's all sorts of reasons why your joy may be lacking. But what the psalmist shows us here is that when we find we're up against that lack of joy in our life, one of the most powerful things we can do is remember. To look back. To remind ourselves of God's presence in our life. Remind ourselves like when our students and our, and our kiddos went to camp this year, some of them got saved. Some of them got a call to ministry. Some of them experienced the Holy Spirit pointing out, like I said earlier, that sin was holding them back from God, and they needed to repent of that. So they rededicated their life. And if they're like me, they will remember that for years and years and years to come. 
I remember the work of God in my life through summer camp. I remember the work of God in my life through the youth ministry at First Baptist Church of Wortham when I was a teenager. I remember the faithfulness of God to call me into ministry at 18 years old, not knowing what I was doing, but thinking I knew everything about youth ministry. I remember God's faithfulness when he called me 2,500, actually, miles away from home to help with the church plan. I remember God's faithfulness when he called me to pastor, but I knew no one's going to call a pastor who's my age with my level of education and experience. I've never pastored before. It's never going to happen, and God opened doors. I remember God's faithfulness. Over and over again, we can remember God's faithfulness. Sometimes the present creeps in so powerfully that we forget. But here the psalmist gives us a way to fight for joy through remembering. What do you remember of God's faithfulness in your past? Now this you don't have to shout out, but I really do want you to think about it. Right now, just pause. Just think about it for just, just a minute here. When are those moments in your life where you saw the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the guidance of God, the power and strength of God in your life, the answer to prayers? I bet you got at least a few, right? At least a couple are coming to mind. Well, as a, as a people, this is what the Israelites are doing. They're remembering that God was faithful in the past. And that's a good thing because in the present, they were struggling. Most likely when this psalm was penned, we know that they've already come out of Babylonian captivity. But it wasn't like they just picked up where they left off, y'all. They walked back into their home country, and there were challenges and struggles. Like I said, the temple's destroyed. The walls are knocked down. The, the crops, and, and in fact, we'll get to it at the end, but it looks like they're having trouble with crops, which is a big deal. There's no Walmart. There's no HEB. There's no grocery store in the next town if we don't have it. It's either you grow crops or you don't make it. Big deal. So they're likely even facing famine when this was originally written. This may seem uh, to go uh, against the whole idea here, but actually I found it to be incredibly a powerful tool, and we see it in, happening in this psalm, is that when we're fighting for joy, not only do we look back at the past of God's faithfulness, but we're honest with God about the struggle here and now. That in the present circumstances... We don't sugarcoat it. We let God know. First part of verse 5, those who sow with tears. First part of verse 6, those who go weeping. They were honest with God about their present circumstances. <clears throat> One book that always made an impression on me, though I couldn't even tell you all about it. I just remember the first little thing. It's called a, it was by a guy named Larry Crabb, a Christian fellow. He wrote a book called Papa Prayer. Papa was an acronym, and don't even ask me what all the letters stand for, because I done forgot. But I remember the first one, P-A-P-A. -A. The first one is, present yourself to God. It was a way of praying. 
That at the beginning of the prayer, you present yourself to God. You say, God, and he gives this illustration. He says, you know, you show up <clears throat> to the mall. And you don't know where something is. Back in the day before they had apps and stuff, they have these mall maps, okay? They're still there. It's like telephone, you know, like public telephones, like telephone booth. You see one, you're like, that's interesting. They got mall maps still. And if you go up to it, the, help, the most helpful thing, and the first thing you do is what? You look for the red dot. And the red dot says, you are here, right? This is where you're at. And he uses it as an illustration to talk about prayer. Then when you come into prayer, P, Papa Prayer, the first letter, present yourself to God. Say, God, this is where I'm at. We're struggling. We're crying out to you. Tears are running down our face as we go to plant seed that we don't think is going to turn into a crop. And it may seem like that goes against what we're talking about, but it's not. To be honest about your present is part of fighting for joy. Because here's what we often do, and I'm bad about it too. Here's what we'll often do. I'll complain to Josh about it. I'll complain to Rosemary about it. I'll complain to Marcia about it. But I don't talk to God about it. When we go through the Psalms, you're going to see this over and over again. The psalmists say things to God that you think, I hope they didn't say that to anybody else. Just, just go read them. My goodness, they say some incredible things to God. It's eye-opening that they would say the things they say to God. But see, they're talking to God. They knew it was powerful to talk to God about present circumstances. It can be of some use to talk to someone else and get help and, and ask for prayer. That, that can be really important. Complaining, uh, that didn't do too much, to be honest with you. But, have you talked to God about it? It probably wasn't hard to think of some things that is causing your joy to evaporate out of your life right now. Those things that just kind of rise to the top of your mind when we even begin this subject. Those things that, that are wearisome to you. Let me ask you, have you talked to God about it? Have you really sat down and talked to God about it? The psalmist shows us that that is a good thing to do. This is a prayer book. This is a song book. It is written by people inspired by the Holy Spirit to express themselves to God. But also in the present. Not only in the present do, do the psalmists, are they honest with God about where they're at, but they say, and this is what we need, Lord. Here is my challenge and here is my request. Here is my challenge and here is my request. Where do we find the request? Well, it's right there in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Restore our fortunes. You remember, uh, maybe if, if you know the Bible pretty well, you remember when they sent spies into the land that God promised them and the spies came back and said, this is like a land flowing with milk and honey. Grapes as big as your head. This place is incredible. Right, This is a fruitful, wonderful land. I, I've been privileged enough to go there myself, and it is beautiful. Y'all, it's not some ugly, dingy desert. It's a beautiful piece of land, Israel. But now they've been kicked out, and they've come back, and the land hasn't been taken care of. And, and they see all around them, they see the struggle, and, they, and they're telling God about it. And then they make their request, restore, God. Restore. 
our fortunes. Like streams in the Negev. Now that Negev would be like a dry riverbed. And when you don't have rain for months on end, it just dries right up. We see that happen here, don't we? Escondido Creek. Sometimes it's a creek, sometimes it's not. But sometimes it's a river. We've seen that happen over the, these past few months. It's incredible how much, God, how much rain God has sent us. Well, that was, that's unusual for us here in Kennedy, Texas. That's not unusual in the Negev. You know, weather pattern, cyclical thing. Dry riverbed, then the rains come. This is what he's praying for. Send the rain on our souls, Lord. Send the rain on our land. Restore us like a flash flood. So the question here is, what is the request? What is the need? If you're honest with God about your present circumstances, you say, God, here's a challenge. And if God were to turn to you and say, okay, what do you want me to do about it? What would you say? What's your answer? Here's the comforting thing, is that you can be wrong about that. And God will give you what you need, even if you're wrong about it. But venture a guess. Tell him your heart's desire. You may be right. That may be the exact answer to prayer that God is wanting to give you. But again, the good news is, is if you're wrong, he's going to give you the answer to the prayer you would have prayed if you knew what he knew. So you can't go wrong. You can only go wrong if you don't ask. As James says, we do not have because we do not ask. Make the request. Ask God, what is it that you need so that your joy might be full? So we look to the past. We're honest about the present. We make our request. And then we anticipate the future. Not only does the psalmist say, Lord, restore our fortunes, send the rain. But the psalmist anticipates the answer to this request. In fact, oh, I wrote it down somewhere. I don't know if I can find it. Someone wrote this little quotation, and I don't, find, I don't see it, but I'm going to guess at it. They said that this psalm is hope remembered and hope anticipated. That that sums up this psalm. Hope remembered, but also hope anticipated. Listen to what the psalmist writes. He says, yes, those who sow with tears, verse 5, we're sowing with tears, but... We will reap with songs joy. Verse 6, yes, we go out with weeping and carrying seed to sow. Remember I said earlier, they're going out, they're sowing seeds, they're not getting the harvest. Yes, we go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. But, verse 6, we will return with songs of joy. Carrying sheaves with them, a sheaf will be a, like a bundle of wheat. Yes, our tears fall as we present ourselves to God and say, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm struggling with. And yes, 
It, it, it is hard and we make our requests, but we are anticipating that God will answer our prayer in the most fitting way possible. That God will answer our prayer. Even if our prayers are wrong, he's going to answer it the right way. He will answer our prayers. I tell you, one word that I felt the Lord gave me entering into sabbatical was the word wait. Wait on God. Wait on Him. Be patient as He answers your prayers in the very best way possible. It can be hard. When life's circumstances is battling against our joy and we're fighting back, but the victory has not yet come. And we have to keep fighting. One of the great lessons God reminded me of over the summers, you have to keep fighting for that joy. It will not happen naturally. And one of the ways you can do that is to anticipate, you know what? God's going to answer this in the right way, in the right time. I don't know how exactly, but he will. There is hope on the horizon. And when I say that, I just I think about the disciples. And they they did not believe that Jesus was going to be crucified even when Jesus told them. And even when they saw it with their own eyes, they could they couldn't believe the promise that, that he had given them that he would return. Like they, it was hard to put that together. Like you would, you would think like it's easy for us to say it. Well, Jesus predicted his death, so the prediction of his resurrection must also be happening. But the disciples struggled with the prediction of the death, and they struggled to believe the promise of resurrection. But that's just the way God works. He doesn't work according to our timetable. Our wisdom is nothing compared to his. But when he makes a promise, he will fulfill it the right way at the right time. And you may not see it. So your job in the waiting is to fight for that joy. One of the things you can do is just picture it. Yeah, we're crying now. We take this seed out, we plant it in the ground, and and recent history proves that it's not going to do nothing. But for God, he'll send the rain. One of these days, he'll answer this prayer. One of these days, we go out with tears, but one day we're going to come back with sheaves of grain. Believing that, trusting that, is part of fighting for joy, anticipating that. And I'll be honest, sometimes it can be so bad, sometimes, that it's not even the hope of life in this world that will get you through. It's the hope of the promise of God that there is another world, an eternity with Him, promised to us only through faith in Christ. Sometimes that's the last thing we have to hang on to, because so many other things feel hopeless. But that last thing is not a nothing. The troubles in this life are short 
compared to the incredible blessings of eternity. The psalmist shows us how we can fight for joy, remembering God's faithfulness in the past, being honest about our present, and making our requests known to Him, and anticipating a future where His promises will be answered for us. This is just a little bit from one little bitty old psalm, but if we take this and run with it, I believe it can be transformational for us in our fight for joy. Let's pray together.